You are listening to an audio from Redemption City Church. If you would like to explore more resources or donate to this ministry, go to www.visitredemptioncc.com. In the time before Christ, the Jews went through a time of exile. While in exile, they would build temples scattered away from their homeland. During that time, a city named Ephesus was created by the Greeks and taken by the Romans. Roman rulers would connect the world with Rhodes. Paul was able to capitalize on both. Scattered Jewish temples connected by the Roman Empire Rhodes which led Paul to Ephesus, where he pastored for a while, left and then wrote them the letter, titled Ephesians. The lie is that things will always be the way they are. Broken people, broken churches. The truth is that you can become a new man with a new heart and a new mind. The people who follow Christ can be one body, one church, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father to all. Ephesians. Well, good morning, Redemption City Church. How are we doing? Good morning. All right. Well, I was going to let you know just really, really briefly that I have had a challenging physical week this week, and so I've had some challenges even this morning and been on the phone with my um, physical therapist and doctor and stuff, so just keep me in your prayers. But I'm super excited just to jump into the Word because I really believe the Lord has something amazing for us today. So if you have your Bibles, and like I said, I really hope you do, let's open them to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 13 through 21. And that's right. We're jumping right into the text. We have a lot to talk about. If you don't have your own Bible, we do have some ESV Bibles to the left of you in the windowsill. We just ask that you would put those back. And so as we continue forward in our Ephesians series titled Our Story into God's Story, I want to continue to remind you that this whole point of this series is all about discovering who we are in light of Christ. Okay. This is about finding out our identity in Jesus and then how we are to live in light of that. And so last week, if you were not here and you missed out last week on part 11, the word of God was, I mean, the title of the sermon was uh, the gospel, the church and our part in it. And we learned um, just really, what does it mean to follow the will of Christ, even despite afflictions and suffering? We'll talk about that in a different way this morning. And we talked about how important it is to have the right message about God. Not the prosperity gospel message, not the poverty gospel message, but the Christ-centered message about what God came to do and how that really is our aim as Christians. And so we talked about how blessed we are to have God's grace in our lives and how we should proclaim, right, who Jesus is and that that should never be a boring thing. That his riches are incalculable, King James Version says. In the ESV, I think it says unsearchable, right? It might be getting them backwards. So there's no, you can never get bored when you're talking about Jesus. And then finally, we learned that the, we have this great opportunity because of the blood to draw near to God. And so, and that brings us to today. And this morning's message is part 12 titled, Praying for Strongly Flexed Muscles and eternal perspectives in trials. And if you got the video that came out, I talked about that. What does it mean to flex our muscles 
in Christ, just like we flex them in, with our biceps. And so this remains our aim. It, it's our aim every single week for part 13, 14, 15, 16, as we continue on, no matter how familiar you feel you are with Ephesians, whether this is your first time the series engaging with it, or you've studied Ephesians many, many years, our aim is that each and every person, including me, would have an encounter every single Sunday in the book of Ephesians like you've never had before. And so <clears throat> let's start off right now with Ephesians chapter 3, verse 13. We're going to get right into the text. And I want to show you a couple of things and then we're going to pray. This is what Paul says in verse 13. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Now, here's my question. Do you believe that Paul was going through anything at this time? Like, was he actually experiencing any trial, any suffering, any affliction in his life? And I would say, yes, dramatically. And eventually, he would lose his life and his head. Yet somehow, instead of looking at just the obvious problems and situations from an earthly perspective of what was going on, instead of Paul getting caught up in just his earthly trials, he chose to look up and he chose to see things from an eternal perspective. This is what I call, if you've been in the covenant membership interview, I, one of the questions I asked you was, how do you live your life in light of eternity? That's just a fancy way of saying, how are you living your life and your day-to-day -day decisions? How do you react to the trials of life in light of knowing that Christ is with you? In light of knowing that God's doing a work? In light of knowing that even in the worst case, which is death, you gain life in Christ. And so here's my question for you. And this is your first question for your fill-in. Okay, here's the question. Do you look at your circumstances from an earthly perspective before thinking about them from an eternal perspective? I want you to lock in this morning. You know, one of my, um, one of my hopes this morning is that everyone would be so locked in that you would see just how important this text is for your life. Because this is, this is really the cream of the three chapters. Do you tend, think about this, reflect, do you tend to look at things immediately from an earthly perspective when it comes to some kind of trial? Like, oh my God, what am I going to do? Before you first think about it from an eternal perspective. So here's the thing. If you start by looking at your circumstances from an earthly perspective, it's going to be discouraging, exhausting, confusing, and oftentimes it's going to be undesirable to continue to explore it. You're going to want to shut it down and suppress it because all you're going to see is your trials. This is a super important thing. I want you to get this. But Paul in this text is showing you that he's going about things much, much differently. He's choosing to see things from an eternal perspective. We're going to talk about that all morning long. And that's why he's able to say with confidence in verse 13, hey guys, hey, hey, don't lose heart. I'm not going to lose heart and I don't want you to lose heart. So instead of being reactive to everything that's happening with them, you tracking? Instead of reacting to the problem, reacting to what's not going well, he's choosing to be proactive. And so often we're so reactive to the things that happen in our life. Like, we're, like, we don't, like we don't expect it. Like, why is this happening? Instead of being proactive. And Paul's saying, hey, don't lose heart, comma, but I'm getting ready to give you a whole bunch of proactive things that I want to exhort you to do. And one of the main ways he's going to be proactive in this text is through prayer. So let me say this again. Instead of being reactive to your sufferings and your trials and your storms, Paul's calling us to be proactive as we watch, as he calls us in 1 Corinthians, 
to imitate me as I imitate Christ. So prayer is what Paul's going to turn to. Prayer is going to be where he finds his answer. You got, you got some answers you need in your life? Okay. Prayer is going to be what he gets for his help. Prayer is going to be his ultimate weapon. And prayer is going to be his hope. Is prayer your hope? Is prayer your hope? Is prayer your weapon? Is prayer your answer? Is prayer what you turn to? But what does Paul actually pray for? What is he actually going to pray for as we get into this text? We're going to see that he prays for two things. He's going to say it in very fancy ways, but I'm going to, I'm going to simplicity, right? Two things. He's going to pray for his heart. And he's going to pray for the heart of his friends. That's it. That's, that's crazy, but that's going to be good news. He doesn't pray for all his trials to go away. Are you listening to me, American Christians? He doesn't pray for all of his trials to go away. He doesn't wish that they would just go away and disappear. He doesn't pray to be released from light chain house arrest for simpler roads, more comfortable roads. Instead, he prays for his own heart. Are you kidding me? Out of everything he could pray in this letter, he prays for his own heart and the heart of his friends. How many of us are you quick to pray for your trials to end? When you experience suffering, sickness, some type of adversity is the first thing you do is God, I want them to go away before you ever think to pray from a eternal perspective. Hey God, what's going on? Hey God, what are you doing right now? Hey, what's going on? Let me tell you how Paul did not pray. Paul did not pray for the Roman government to fall apart. Do you see that in the, t I don't, I don't, I don't see that in Ephesians. He doesn't pray for the Roman government to fall apart so he can be released. I don't see that in the text. I also don't see that he prays that Caesar would have go into cardiac arrest so that there would be a new regime and then he would be released from prison. I didn't see that in the text either. Pastor Jacks knows more of the, is there, is there any other scroll? Is there, oh, there's another scroll. Okay. Um, I also didn't see that he prayed for the Gaul soldiers to, um, to catch uh, malaria so they would fall over and then he could slip his hands and get the key so he could be unlocked. I didn't see that. In the Caitlin knows a lot about the Bible. Caitlin, is that in the text anywhere? Do you see? I, no, that's not. That's, that's also not in the text. That's not how Paul chose to pray. But exactly, but that's exactly how we pray, isn't it? We pray, hey God, can you, can you make this go away right now? I'm uncomfortable. I don't like what I'm feeling. I don't like what I'm experiencing. We're quick to ask God to make our pain and our circumstances and our trials go away. But we see that Paul is doing something very different, very supernatural. And we're going to see that God's calling us to do that same thing. So let's look now at what Paul says in this prayer and how he goes about this prayer so we can learn. Let's look at verses 14 through 21. This is the word of the Lord. It says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the father. Wow. From whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being other translations in your inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth the length the height the depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think oh my goodness according to the power at work within us to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever amen let's pray now father as we get ready to read your word now and we prepare to study it and apply it to our hearts i believe this message is really super simple and it's so elementary that it actually has the ability to change our lives. 
And I pray that as we gather today to seek you, that you would reward us and grant us with attentive hearts and minds, God. Even with what's going on, I want to be attentive in this moment. I want you to have all of me, that you would keep me and them free from any distractions of any sort. Lord, I pray that you would anoint our lives to serve your purposes in your kingdom, that Lord, my words would become a reflection only of your heart. And that's in Jesus' name. We thank you for what you have already done. Help us to rest now. Not work hard, not, not think, but to rest in your word because you're faithful. Help us to rest in your fatherhood. Help us to rest in your power. We know that your knowledge and character is good. It's not of evils to give us a future and a hope that will not disappoint. So Father, bless this time. Bless this church. Bless this family in Beaverton. Bless your kingdom on earth. It's because of your beautiful name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, I'll tell you what. I sometimes wonder why things have to be so difficult. You ever thought about that? Like, I work really, really hard in my life to order things in such a way that it wouldn't have to be so difficult. Anyone who knows me halfway knows I'm a man of order. I want my room in order. I want the bathroom in order. I want my shoes in order. I want my flash drive in order. I don't want adversity. I want things to be simple. That's why we take out our phones oftentimes, right? And we pull them out when we're driving places, especially new places, and we pull out Google Maps or a MapQuest because our desire is to get to our destination as soon as we can with the simplest route there. What is the quickest way in a straight line that I can get to where I want to go? So this desire for things to be simple and for things to get fast, we wanna get things fast is ingrained in all people, in all humanity. And we always want the fastest way and the fastest route everywhere in our lives. And even though we want that so bad, that's not usually the case in life, is it? It's usually not the case in life. Like life is filled with tension. We talked about that. Trials, setbacks, and pushbacks. And we're often saying, God, what is going on? What's going on in my marriage? What's going on in my family? So if you ever struggled with why, why am I experiencing this trial in my life? Hello? Has anybody ever thought that? Or, or, or why am I struggling like this? Or why is my marriage struggling like this? Why does it feel so dead? Why am I experiencing this pain and this suffering? I want you to find today some hope. And I want you to find some eternal perspectives that will not take your pain away. They will not take your trials away. But perhaps you can look at the same trial differently. And we're going to do that by what I'm going to call, to give us a church family language, the three G's of how God uses our trials. The three G's of how God uses our trials, according to Paul, who is inspired by God. Here's the first one for your fill-in. One of the ways that God uses your suffering and your trials and your pain and your unfortunate circumstances is so we can grow. Everybody say, God uses my trials. So I can grow. This is an important message because if you cannot interact with suffering and Christianity, you're not going to be able to walk with the Lord. This is a very important message. God uses our trials so that we can grow. God on purpose allows, you ready for this one? And sometimes he orchestrates trials so that we can grow. Because without them, we won't experience any growth. You tracking with me? Now, of course, we don't want it to be that way. We don't want to experience resistance and things like that in our lives. We want things to be simple, right? Why, why would, we don't want to sign up for that. 
unless unless we go to the gym right unless we go to the gym unless we're training in some kind of a way pilates yoga weight room that's the one place where we actually desire resistance isn't that crazy that's where we actually want heavier weights you go to the gym and you want heavier weights and then you deem that you're growing by having bigger weights of resistance hmm so if you don't know my background i was a strength and nutrition and a coach for high level athletes okay so that's one of the things i did i did all kinds of specialty things and they would pay me top dollar to put their sons or daughters in a building to make everything difficult for them no you're not understanding they would pay me over a hundred and forty dollars for a session to say take my son and daughter and surround them in a room of resistance so i would walk them around this room and pick this up put it down pick this up put it down do this do this and all i'm doing is creating resistance all over the place in their life like if you really think about the reality of going to the gym or doing yoga it's like i want to make my body do something hard i don't want it to be easy and when it's easy i'm going to make more resistance it's kind of crazy when you think about it. it's kind of like we're lunatics right we're looking up we're signing up to make something difficult so why do you think that it is that we can do that in the gym in a physical perspective with our bodies when it comes to weights and resistant bands and cable machines and all the things that we do we do that because we know and we believe it's going to produce something of value to us maybe that value is a woman fitting into her wedding dress maybe that's a young man getting his first six-pack abs but whatever it is that's motivating you you've deemed that the pain and the resistance and the weight is going to produce something that's valuable to you so you lean in to the resistance you tracking with me so you're you 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 step into the resistance and when you're thoroughly tired and you walk out of the gym and you're limp you ever done that before you're like limp you got that limp because you did so much on the treadmill you did so much exercise and your body feels terrible and you're in pain you sit down in the car and something strange happens you're happy and you're satisfied because you're limping to the car and you're in pain after resistance you're happy with all those feelings that pain the ache the back because you have deemed that something valuable has occurred so here's our first takeaway most people will not only welcome resistance but will seek out resistance in their lives if they believe the pain and the resistance will produce something of significant value to them however when the value cannot be discerned or believed most people will resist the pain and drop the weight i can tell you right now the athletes that i've trained who did not get results the way they thought they didn't come back they dropped the weight why because they no longer believed that they're going to get something valuable it always comes down to perspectives if i believe that this is going to produce something that i want in my body i'm going to keep paying to come to my training because it's valuable if i don't see any results and i'm feeling down i'm not going to pick up the weights anymore in the gym i'm going to leave it's the same thing in our lives so we see this all the time from an eternal perspective don't we 
Somehow our approach must look different. We're going to jump into every one of these verses, but just keep tracking with me. We say, I don't want my friendships and my mentorships and my relationships to experience any resistance ever. Track with me. This is important in your relationships, marriage, friendships. If you like mentoring, discipling, you're experiencing adversity. Oh, I'm done. Excuse me. We feel resistance. We want nothing to do with it. God must be calling me to put it down. I don't want to experience any resistance in my finances ever. That must mean that I'm doing something wrong. I'm not faithful. I have some financial stewardship problem. Um, sometimes you do need to work on it. Sometimes it has nothing to do with your preparation. You could prepare every single thing right that you can as a man or a woman and still end up in a financial resistance. I am a man of order with my finances. By the age of 24, 25 years old, me and my lovely wife have saved over 200 something thousand dollars, never made a dollar over $40,000 a year. And that's including living, going on vacations, being wise, money market. And it's all gone when I broke my neck and it doesn't matter how much I plan my 401k in retirement, God is still on the throne. His plans happen and I experience financial resistance. So we don't want to experience any, any resistance in our heart, in any type of hardship ever. We don't want our bodies to experience any resistance, any illness, any disease. Oh my gosh. We want none. We don't want to feel anything, but God says in the Bible, that's not how it works. God allows and sometimes orchestrates our trials of resistance for our growth. You got to grow folks. Listen to me. If you run away from the resistance and the trials in your life, you will not grow. But wouldn't it be amazing if the next time you experience your next trial, relationally, financially, medically, whatever it is, wouldn't it be amazing that you would stop for a moment and say, what is the eternal perspective that my heavenly father may be trying to teach me right now? And what would it be like to have a biblical disposition that says, you know what, Lord, how can this be for my good? How can this be for my good? So here's your second takeaway. God often allows and at times orchestrates trials of resistance within our lives so we can grow. You got to know this without them, we will not grow as we gaze upon the circumstances from an eternal perspective. We are rightly positioned to see opportunities for us to grow stronger and more satisfied with our circumstances as we see the value of what God is doing. It's very important. Now, here's the second way that God uses our trials. Okay, ready? God uses our trials for other people's good. This is what the whole text is talking about from 13 to 21. You'll see God uses our trials for other people's good. Say God uses my trials for other people's good. See, the Bible says that when we go through a trial, God meets us there. Okay. And if we're patient, we get great confidence as we lift the weight of our trial by the power of the Holy Spirit and we last and we stand or a biblical way of saying it's and we endure or we run our race, positioning us now to be an encouragement to other people for their good. Now, second Corinthians chapter one is going to explain this much better than I can. So let's take a look at that right now. Here's second Corinthians chapter one, verse three through four. 
It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You ready? Here we go. Here we go. Who comforts us. So God's going to do that. He's going to meet us there. Who comforts us in our affliction. I love commas. I love therefores. I love so that. It's never just about you. He comforts us. He meets us there so that we may be able to comfort others. You tracking? We go through our trials. God uses our trials so we can grow up and then God can meet us there, comfort us, and now we can show out our faith. We can flex our faith muscles as God comforts us and we can encourage others who are also in affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Can't you see? God is basically saying, uh, like, man, if I let you walk through these stormy nights and you persevere and you make it because the Holy Spirit's with you, there's going to be someone else that's going through the very same thing that you're going through. Don't you know that? Have you not met those people? Someone else is going to be going through the same thing you are, and they're going to need you really, really bad. They're going to need me really bad, but they're going to need the extension of me in the flesh. And they're going to need you really, really bad. But what they're going to need from you is a testimony of my goodness. So I need you to last, son. I need you to last, daughter. You see, accepting the resistance of your trials means you become a strong athlete in Christ who can, real, who can flex real hard their spiritual muscles that God is good. That God is good. There's nothing worse than going to a gym, anybody's ever went to a gym, and having an overweight, obese personal trainer. There's nothing worse than that. It doesn't matter if he or she has all the right information. It doesn't matter if they have all the knowledge in the world. It's just really hard to be trained by a personal trainer who is not taking care of their own body. Because, in other words, if the trainer's message was so good, if he was so good and so sweet... Why is the trainer not applying it to their own lives? There's a reason why we're attracted to personal trainers who embody the message they're communicating. There's a reason why ladies go into a makeup store and when they want to ask for advice, they look and they say, okay, who looks like they're putting their makeup on? Correct. In other words, we have to have a message from the inside that matches how we're living our own lives. You can have all the Bible answers and know all the knowledge in the world. This is important. Track with me for discipleship. You can have all the right biblical information and have all the right knowing the truth. You can be super gifted encourager, but it's going to be really hard for you to truly mentor, disciple, walk with anybody in a lasting way if they can't look at you and genuinely see that you have the muscles to match what you're saying. Do you have a testimony? So accepting the resistance of trials means that you're able to prove that you've lifted heavy weights in your own life and you've built some great muscles of the faith as the Holy Spirit has equipped you. You'll be able to speak with real confidence and authority that God's fruit is steadfastness, faithfulness, and perseverance. You'll be able to tell other people what it looks like to flex when all you want to do is run away. There's a lot that Paul's doing, and there's a lot on display right now. You need to stop being lazy in your trials. You hear me? You got to stop being lazy in your trials, and, and you're having these atrophied muscles. You got to flex your faith muscles when it counts and trust that God's going to be with you. 
Because when trials hit people and that weight and resistance comes and they pour out their heart to you, this happens all, when that person comes to you and they pour their, their, literally their heart out, I think the Lord wants them to not look in the face like you look like a deer in headlights. You have no true message of hope. I want you to come from the deepest well of your, of your heart. I want, I want you to have a deep well because of what God has done in your life that you can look at them without memorizing all the Bible verses. They can look in your eyes and they can know this is a man and a woman of depth, of character, that's been tested and tried by life and God is in them and they have a message for me. You'll be able to talk about times in your youth when you were afraid and you struggled with your confidence and you'll be able to say what God did and how you got to this point. You'll be able to say to a parent who's struggling with their kids that, you know what, my son, my daughter walked away from the Lord. And you know what, they're still not walking with the Lord, but this is my hope. And this is what I'm doing about that. And they're gonna find, they're gonna find encouragement from you as you grow in your circumstance. But look at me, you will not have any true wisdom. You will have no true encouragement. You will have no muscles of the faith if you keep running away from your trials and your pain and your circumstances. You got to stick in the game long enough to experience the God of the universe. Wake up and stop running towards things and environments and people and situations that provide comfort with no challenge. Surround yourself with people in your life that challenge you to be better in Christ. Stop running away to everybody and every situation and every environment that makes it easy for you. You need to grow. So here's the third takeaway. God desires us to grow so that we can be an encouragement for other people's good. As we proverbially flex the muscles of our spiritual faith that have been sufficiently resisted within our trials. However, when we run away from lifting the weights that God places in our lives, removing the eternal perspective that it is for our growth, we become the overweight personal trainer that teaches others that which he or she is unwilling to do themselves. Do not be a hypocrite. Walk the talk. We're just, I'm just, we're just cooking up. You guys ready? <laughs> now I want us to sit in that for a moment. I want to keep this on the screen. This is church and at Redemption City Church, we don't have any rules. We don't get caught up in any legalistic thing. We're stopping service right now for about one or two minutes. And I want you to sit and I want you to meditate on this because this is everything folks. God wants you to grow so that you can be strong in the Lord, but he also wants you to be an encouragement. Get this in your mind. And when you think about suffering, but if you run away from your trials and these weights, you're going to be of no good. You've got to see things from Christ's perspective. Just sit in that for a moment. So I says, Selah, Selah, pause, reflect. Here's the third one. And this is the last one. And this is just how it all comes together. God uses our trials so that he can be glorified. He does it so he can be glorified. Say, God uses my trials so that he can be glorified. 
notes. This is important, folks. Pay attention. When you have those first two G's that we've been talking about, when you go through life and you experience trials and, 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 and weights and resistance and you pick them up and you put them down and you pick them up and you put them down and you pick them up and you put them down and you exercise it out and you grow. <laughs> when you walk through the resistance, oh, by the way, just like when you go to the weight room, when I train athletes, so when they first learn how to do, let's say like a deadlift and they're learning, it's very difficult. And so they're struggling, not just with the weight of the trial, uh, uh, of the, they're not just struggling with the resistance, they're, they're, they're struggling with the form and the mechanics. Okay. And so I got to train them first, how to get proper, um, hip, hip dip, uh, mechanics, shoulder position. And as they get the mechanics better, the weight gets easier. So the more times they pick it up and they put it down, it doesn't just get easier with the weight. It gets easier with the form. And so you might not always be able to control the weight in your life, but you can control your approach to it. And the more that you continue to pick up the weights and you put the weights down in your life and you pick them up, you put them down. What happens is whether the weights heavy or not, you know what to do because you're building spiritual muscle memory. Amen. <clears throat> so when you go through life and you grow and when you walk through your resistance of your trials and you remain faithful and you trust in God, when you take that growth and then you offer it to others as an encouragement for their good, when those two things happen, I'm growing and I'm sharing my growth. I grow, I share. I grow, I share. God is glorified. If you ever want to know how do I glorify God, it's literally by what you do by faith and what you give to others out of that faith that is to the glory of God. That You can go to a whole seminary class and get lost for a semester trying to unpack glory to God. How do you glorify God? It's when you grow in your faith and you share it with others, God is glorified. That's what it means. <laughs> all the heavens and all the angels and all the demons and all the peoples, when they look at your life and my life and they see a smile on your face, even when you're in suffering, no one and all of them can't help but to say there's a God. That's what the word of God says. Angels, demons, they all proclaim there is a God. And even the most worldly person who doesn't use that language is in agreement. They simply can't understand it. Think about this. I've seen almost every one of these examples I'm going to lay out. When they see a mom that can smile and have joy when she's lost her son or daughter to a tragic accident at nine years old, but she still lives with joy and smiles, people say there must be a God. When they see a young man who's able to care for so many other people despite his own illness and sickness, you can't help but to say that young man must have a God. When you see that family that's able to play at the park and laugh, despite the fact that the husband and the father is no longer there from a terrible accident. When you see that mom and the three kids playing at the park and you think they have a picture perfect family and you don't understand that it was just, just a few months ago that the husband was in a car accident. That's because there's a God. When you see a woman who's able to live happy again with a full life after being sexually abused with confidence and you hear those stories, it makes people say, there must be a God. When you see a man who becomes a great leader to God's people despite his past, and you hear some of these pastors' testimonies and you're saying, that was in your story, there must be a God. Can I tell you a secret? The world's not really impressed with people that ha have everything handed to them on a silver spoon. The world's not impressed. The world's never been drawn to that. We're all drawn to the underdog story, the rags to riches. 
making themselves something out of nothing. But let's think about Paul now from a worldly perspective. All the things that Paul did, he should have had a large corner office. <laughs> he should have the biggest, fattest church ever with the biggest, coolest desk, glass desk preferably, and it should have just been awesome. But instead, Paul's like, no, no, no. Stop trying to buy everything. We see this in some of the different parts of the epistle. Stop trying to buy me everything. Stop trying to pay me everything. Stop trying to do everything for me. Stop trying to make me so comfortable. Hey, hey, this is Paul says, take care of my daily needs as the Lord has prescribed. Paul does lean in and say, hey, you should take care of my daily needs that God calls you to. But remember, my trials of resistance that I'm going through right now in light chain house arrest, this is for my growth. And this is going to be for your good, Ephesian church. What they, what, they, what they didn't understand is that what Paul was doing, he was leaning into the weight and he was picking it up and he's pulling it down. And he's not, he's feeling pain and he's feeling a limp when he gets into the car and he sits down, but he knows he's getting strong muscles. What they didn't understand, it was going to be for their good because the church of Ephesus was going to become one of the strongest churches that we have a, a, an example of. And what they didn't know is that 2000 years later, we were going to be encouraged. And all that happened because Paul leaned into his trial and his hardship, and he knew it was for his good and for his growth. And then he encouraged others and God got the glory and he's continuing to get the glory. Amen. Because we're sitting here talking about what Paul did and what happened in this church. So Paul says, do all these things, but remember, Get out the way and let God do the work. I'm in Rome under light chain house arrest, but I'm good. I'm content because God has me. Do you feel content in your circumstances? Because God is with you. Now, you may be looking at your life right now and saying, I kind of think I heard everything you just said, Pastor Brandon. But honestly, I kind of think that I should have more going on for me. I mean, I really think I should have more going on for me. And I think I should have less going against me. Like, I'm just trying to do the math here, Pastor Brandon. Like, literally, I, I go to church, I'm faithful, I tithe, and I don't understand why I don't have more in my life. More in my marriage, more in my relationships, more money. And I definitely don't understand why I have so much adversity right now. But I say, what I believe God would say in that is, well, having more and more without any challenges, that's not going to move anybody in your life. And that's not going to move you. I think God would continue on, he would say, but when you see your trials, whatever it is right now, think about your trial, whatever's going on. If you see it from an eternal perspective, if you flex your faith muscles and you lean into this and you ask God, what are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to show me? How can I grow out of this? Just for a moment, you may have the opportunity to make much of me. But here's what it comes down to nominal Christianity, folks, versus biblical Christianity. Do you actually care? Do you actually care to glorify God? Or are you in the slippery slope faith walk of a consumeristic approach of what can God do for me? Because if you're actually a Bible-believing, Christ-exalting Christian, your questions aren't, what can God do for me? It's, what can I give to God? What can I give to God? See, when you don't have an eternal perspective, the whole thing falls apart. It doesn't work. I'll be the first one to admit, I really don't like trials. Trust me, I really don't like them. I don't like them. I don't prefer them. But the Bible is radically honest and makes it clear with full, full clarity that these unfortunate situations are part of life. Like we really got to get this figured out. I'm, I'm trying to say it 95 times today. The world is predisposed to an onslaught of suffering because sin entered the world in Genesis and shalom, peace was broken. This is what the Bible tells us. 
So remember, Jesus himself, he doesn't even sugarcoat this reality, folks. He makes, he makes it clear what life is and what life isn't. So let me, let's, let's go on a journey and let, let, me, let me show you that. So Jesus shows up on the scene about 2,000 years ago, roughly, right? And, and this is literally Jesus, the God-man, wrapped in flesh. And everybody's like, oh yeah, Jesus is here. The Messiah is here. God's here. Woohoo! Now it's going down. He's got to take over everything. We've been waiting for this. They're super excited. But here's the thing. Jesus literally didn't fix anything in the ways that they thought he was going to come and fix it. Like none of what they thought he was going to do. Yeah, Jesus did some miracles, but that was not his main focus. It wasn't about unleashing heaven on earth in the ways that the people were thinking he was going to come to do it and what they were demanding. Instead, Jesus says, I'm not here to focus all my attention on the physical realm. That's not why I've arrived. I'll do some healing. I'll walk on some water a little bit. But the real miracle, you ready? Because we this is what we get caught up in. Miracle. God, fix it, fix it, fix it. And Jesus says, hey, the real miracle is not, is not the biggest miracle. The primary miracle is not me walking on water. It's not me healing people. The real miracle is going to be found in my withness. In my withness. The real miracle is literally me being with you. See, because we're, we're stuck, we're blocked. You know, God in heaven, who created the heaven and earth, is in a relationship with you. <laughs> That's a miracle. Oh my gosh. The real miracle it will be that I'm going to redeem your soul. That's corrupted. The real miracle is that I'm going to rebirth your inner man, which we're going to see in a minute. Your inner woman. Are you kidding me? That's the miracle. But how many of us want to sit on the committee of heaven right now? And tell Jesus, uh, Jesus, I think that you really need to get a little bit more aggressive down here. I don't know if you've been watching what's going on, on the earth, but they don't respect you. Actually, all the movies, they're, they're mocking you now. So I, I, I don't know. I don't know about you, but I might want to sit on the committee of heaven and tell Jesus to step his game up a little bit. But think about it this way. Not only do I think I know that's possible, that we want that. I think the disciples wanted that. Because in the Gospels, it says that the disciples went to Samaria. I'm going to do it kind of youth pastor version. Let's make the Bible come to life. So the disciples um, go to Samaria and they're trying to basically rent a Motel 6. Basically. Okay. You guys know this? So like a, like a Motel 6 for Jesus. And so they came back to Jesus and they said, uh, Jesus, we can't rent the Motel 6, even though they have a whole bunch of vacancies right now, because they said you're a Jew and they won't rent to a Jew. So we want to pray for them. This is what the disciples said. We want to pray for them, Jesus. Jesus is like, okay, uh-huh. And you guys know the story. And so, and they say, uh, Jesus, we want to pray that we'd have the same power as Elijah. Like, cool. Do you know why? They said, we want to know if we have the same power. Uh, we want to know if we can pray to have the power of Elijah because we want them to die for, what they, for their answer. We want them to die. Are you with us, Jesus? And Jesus is like, no, <laughs> no, I'm not with you. We're not going to pray for that. And so often, I think that's how we come, right? We're like, Lord, um, are you going to bat for me? You see me struggling over here with my money. You see me struggling over here in my marriage. Aren't you going to go to bat for me? When are you going to show up? I'm having a tough time right now. Come on. I guess, are you, oh, then we go, are you real? Am I saved? What are you doing? And the Lord's like, yeah, I hear you. Yes, I hear your prayer. Yes, I'm showing up, but I'm going to do it my way. <laughs> are you going to submit to that if I do it my way. I'm going to work things out of you from the inside out so you can have true spiritual worth and wealth that will far exceed your expectations. I'm not looking to give you quick relief. 
I'm not looking just for you to have a better life. I want you to have a deep spiritual worth and wealth that will last. So here's your fourth takeaway. When we flex our faith muscles during trials and grow, and we encourage others out of our growth for their good, God is glorified. When we have joy despite our trials, God's power is put on center stage. Therefore, we must see, um, I'm sorry, therefore we must ask the Holy Spirit to give us eternal eyes so we can find eternal perspectives through our trials. But without flexed muscles and eternal perspectives, there is no hope for the Christian man or woman. Therefore, walking away from faith becomes imminent. Folks, I don't want that for you. If you do not exercise faith, and you don't invite the Holy Spirit to strengthen you, and you don't have eternal eyes, you will not walk as a Christian. Those are the, that's what it means to, have, to be a Christian. Eternal eyes, a transformed heart, that's exercising. You have to exercise. Can't you see? God is on a whole different level. He's on a whole different perspective. He's gazing out with eternal perspectives, with his own eternal prerogatives, uh, and, his, and his, his perspectives are this, your trials, this is, this is good news. If you're listening, if you're, if you're going to ignore, if you're going to ignore truth, you're going to ignore things that can literally change your life. It's going to be your loss. Listen, your trials, this is, this is what God reveals in scripture. We're going to see this in how Paul prays. Your trials are not about your marriage and your kids. I'm trying so, um, could you please, I would like to have some, um, coaching. I would like to have some counseling with my finances, with my marriage. Okay. Listen, I'm gonna give everybody counseling right now. Okay. Your problem is not your marriage. Your problem is not your kids. The trial is really not your job. The ultimate trial is not the government. The, it, it's not your coworkers. It's not shady people. It's not your in-laws. It's not your body. It's not your disease. That is not the real trial. These things are not the source of what's messing up your life. Stop believing that. No, it's not. Trials are just a part of the way things are. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to be a different. They are a part of life. We're in a broken world. That is not the source of your misery. I'm going to show you just in case you think I'm just saying stuff. I'm going to show you that Jesus agrees. Let's look at John chapter 16, verse 33. I have said these things to you that in me, you may have peace. You ready? In the world. Everybody read that. You will what? Uh-uh. You will. <laughs> no, no, I need you to accept this. You will what? <laughs> okay. It's not if. It is when. You will. So, your marriage is going to have tribulation. Your kids are going to have tribulation. Your job, your coworkers, people, relationships, body is going to experience tribulation. Stop being surprised. I, I shouldn't experience this. Why? I'm only 30. I'm only 50. I'm only... Because God says this is what's going to happen in this broken world. That's why. <laughs> it's a part of life. Don't you think that the Jesus' disciples struggled with these principles of trials? Keep tracking with me. Don't you think they struggled at times? You don't think that they wanted Jesus to handle things differently without so much resistance and weight? Especially when they were getting ready to approach Calvary? But Jesus says no. Jesus leaned into the disciples and he said, I know it's going to be difficult. I know it's going to be tough, but take heart. I have come to overcome all of this and you're going to get through this disciples. He's telling us the same thing. 
I have the peace of the Father. You're going to have a peace of me when I sit on the right hand. So stop trying to cut all the soldiers' ears off. Stop looking around, trying to get me out, and stop trying to steal me away to a comfortable land. I'm leaning into the resistance of the trial that my Heavenly Father has set before me, and I'm going to flex my muscles about what my God has called me to as the Son of God, and I'm going to lay out here by faith, I'm going to demonstrate this, and then I'm going to die. And then I'm going to rise in three days out of death, and I'm going to wash over your sins so that you can be released to flex your faith muscles by my power. One, two, three. And he walked with the crowd towards Calvary. He leaned in and he flexed. Let me show you how trials are really a part of life. I want to show you how trials are really a part of life. And here's an average day. This is a true day that I experienced about three and a half, four months ago. And I want to walk you through this in a faithful way. I want us to get this today. So um, I woke up um, in burning pain. Um, this is a this is, like I said, about four months ago, and I was just in a lot of burning pain. I have a neck injury, so my brain stem sometimes sends mixed signals, and I was burning down my arms and everything else. And so I wake up, and I'm just struggling to want to exist, okay? And I get out of bed. Um, I'm, I'm not even upright yet, and my son Bus is in the room because he wants to show me his comic book strips he's been working on. I don't care about comic book strips right now. I hope he doesn't hear his message for multiple years. Um, but right now, I'm, I'm, I'm not feeling well, and I'm experiencing a real trial. But in that moment, I saw a glimpse of the joy in my son's eyes because he was so excited to show me these little comic strips. And so there's this moment where I experience God and joy. I get out and I walk down to go eat some breakfast and I look down on my phone at the text message and it's a tragedy of someone I went to high school with that just passed away. And this, someone had texted me that I didn't even know they had my number still and they had told me he had passed away. And this is a, not a super close friend, but I did hang out with him a lot. And he would kind of go up and down with his walk with the Lord. And because of unfortunate decisions he made, he lost his life. And so I was just feeling heavy, like, geez, you know, just remembering all the things that the fun times. And then I checked my email around eight in the morning and one of my mentees who I've been walking with for over a decade was super excited because he was having this opportunity to start in a youth position. Um, and so this was a cool moment and I got to be a reference for this. And so I'm just experiencing this joy. This is a long story, so much faithfulness, no open doors. And I'm just super, super excited. This is all, it's only eight in the morning, <laughs> you know? And, and so, and then that happens. And then um, two hours later, I went to staff meeting and um, we kind of wrapped up some of the things. And so a lot of people were gonna be leaving early and one of the people on the staff was having a hard time. So I sat with that person for multiple hours. We just kind of worked through some things going on in that person's um, private world. And, and, and my heart was heavy. I'm like, man, I don't want this person to be struggling. You know, I love this person. I'm caring about this person. And it's just up and down. And, and then uh, by 4 p.m., I got a call from my wife that day. And she was super excited because she had done some project at work and it went really well. And her, and her superiors were really excited about that. And so she's like, oh, I did a really good job. And I'm trying to, and I, and I, I want to meet her there. She's like, but I don't want to do too much because, I, you know, I don't want, I, you know, that's her, her motto at this job is like, I don't want to shine too much. And they, they give us, me too much work. I want to stay available for Redemption City Church, right? <laughs> and so, so then that happens, right? And so it's just an amazing moment. As soon, I kid you not, as soon as I hanged up the phone, I go to check the mailbox and I get this multiple thousand dollar bill. I don't know where it's coming from. And I call and basically it's an unpaid bill that I didn't know about connected to um, about a year and a half ago with my medical stuff. And I, haven't, I don't know how we're gonna pay for it. And I'm just super discouraged. And then by that evening, I get another call from someone else I've been mentoring. And um, he was super eager to share about all that God had been doing in him 
for the last six or seven months. And, and I was just so humbled. And I'm like, wow, God, you're, I see you working in him and humbling him. And I'm just, and, and I just meet him there. And I'm just like, man, this is, this was, this is awesome. And then it was super, it was getting really late at night and I get off the phone and I go lay down to go to sleep. And then my ribs are not able to kind of go where they're supposed to go. And so I got two hours of sleep that night and I felt terrible. Can't you see? And I think something else happened, but anyways, that, that's just a full day. There were moments of joy. There were moments of pain. There were moments of trial. This is life. This is the life we have. You either embrace it or you run away from it. I'm not saying that I can do it every day perfectly. Today I'm in a trial. Today I have two doctors that are on standby to see how I do right now because I'm having all sorts of issues that kept me up last night. So, but I got to embrace it because that's where you grow strong. A lot of the young people say, man, Pastor Brandon, how do you, man, you have such faith. So it's, no, 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 no. Pastor Brandon starts like everybody with little atrophied muscles. And the first time I didn't pick up the weight. I actually cried and I was bitter and I was angry. And I told people to get away, including my wife. I told her and the kids to leave because just let me wallow in my depression and all these type of things. But first I learned how to pick up the little one pound weight, you know, little cute little pink ones. And you just, I picked it up and I put it down one time. And the next day I could pick it up twice. And I grew in stature and I grew in wisdom and I grew in spiritual muscles because I kept picking up the weight and learning how to put it down. And then I learned how to properly have mechanics to do it correctly so that it doesn't hurt as much in the future. Young people, I want you to hear me out on this one. All the millennials, if you're between the ages of about 17 to about 33, 34, this is our group, okay? There's something really dangerous going on in our generation. You know what it is? It's, the, it is not, in the, it's not in our parents' generation, it's in ours. And it's even worse in the generation coming below us now, 17 and under. And it's the inability, the petrified fear to pick up the weights of life. Guys, we're refusing, millennials, 17 to 33-ish, we're refusing to pick up the weight. We're refusing to go to the Lord's gym. We're refusing to allow these resistance of our trials to press on us heavy so we could take these weak little spiritual muscles and grow them the way God wants us to. You understand what I'm saying? But if you don't pick up the weight, this is super important. If you don't pick up that weight and you don't work out, you're gonna keep having atrophied muscles and you're gonna keep having to run to everybody to be your muscles. You're gonna live, you're gonna live very miserable. You're gonna be very sad and very dependent horizontally. Maybe not from a worldly perspective, but from an eternal perspective. And that's all that matters in the end. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to be like Paul. When things don't go well, I want, to, I want to say, don't lose heart to myself and to others. And this is a good time to remind you that Paul doesn't pray for his circumstances to change. Not at all. Not one bit. That's not how he engages in the Lord's gym of life. That's not how he chooses to flex his muscles. But he does in prayer. And we're going to look at that. I'm going to march through this. I want you to hear me. This is important. There are two ways I could approach this sermon. I could just sit and cream through the text. Or I could spend real time having a conversation to understand that God does the work, that your trial has a purpose because it's for you to grow, it's for you to help others for their good, and it's for God to get the glory. And I want to set you up to see this scripture now so you can understand what Paul's trying to say. Let's look at Ephesians 14. For this reason, <laughs> I bow my knees before the Father 
And the reason he's going to enter prayer right now is because of the mystery that has been served up is now available in the midst of his trials. That's from verse 13. Right? Uh, verse 13 said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Now, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Now, what is that mystery again? The, the mystery is that Christ is in us, among us, and for us. Paul is saying, because we have this radical access to Jesus in heaven, we get the privilege and the honor to now flex our muscles of faith when trials come. So now it's time to exercise them through prayer. Now listen to me. There will be many things and reasons that could potentially pull you to pray. Joyful things and sorrowful things. But know this, when you choose to focus on God's plan for salvation and God's power, you will always be able to walk away from prayer with a smile on your face. If you're focused on God's plan for salvation, His power, you can walk away from any prayer with a smile. But when you focus on yourself and your own circumstances as your primary way of praying, you're not guaranteed to be able to walk away from that with a smile. It all comes down to what you're focused on. If you focus on God, He won't disappoint you. And you'll have much to be joyful about. If you're focused on yourself, you will always disappoint yourself and you will not always be able to walk away. Are you going to focus on God and his eternal perspectives, which is basically meaning God's story for your life? Or are you going to focus on yourself and the story you keep trying to write and get disappointed when God doesn't do what you want him to do? Now, I want to say a brief word right now about what Paul says about bowing our knees before the Father. You don't literally have to bow your knees in order to pray to God. Did you know that? You don't literally have to do that. But if you have the physical ability to, let me tell you what you're going to gain and why it's profitable for you. Because it symbolizes humility before God. It symbolizes humility, making yourself lower than him. That's why you would do that. I want you to see that when he says, I bow my knees. He didn't have to. He wanted to. He wanted to be lower than God. He wanted to humble himself before God. It symbolizes that you're laying down your own preferences and your will for God's will. So if you're not praying right now, and I want you to hear what I'm saying. If you're not praying right now, it's because you're not a prayer person. And that's because you're fully relying on yourself. There's no other way. No, 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 it's because, I, no, if you're not praying in your life, you are not, it's okay, I'm not here to make you feel bad, but first you've got to acknowledge where you're at, who you are, and then we can talk about what you can do. If you're not praying in your life, you are not a prayer person, and it is only because you are depending on yourself and not God. So when you don't pray, it is because your heart is hard. No, no, Pastor Brandon, I want to talk to you one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, my heart's not hard. It's just that I just, it's just not my personality. Excuse me. This is not a personality trait. If you're not praying, something in your heart has hardened. Something is wrong there. And without prayer, you're not going to have the, the type of muscles to flex when life gets hard. And you're not going to be able to endure well. Here's a couple other things I want to say about prayer. This is good news. You ready? God always answers every single one of your prayers. And I mentioned this last week. God always answers every single one of your prayers for the Bible-believing Christian, always. He only answers them in three ways. And I think sometimes we don't understand how he's answering them. He does it in three ways. We're not having a sermon on prayer, but let's look at these three ways really, really quickly. Here's the three ways God answers prayers, because we can't read the rest of the text if we don't understand this. God answers our prayers with a yes sometimes. 
What the yes is, this means the Lord takes whatever you've asked him. He says, it accords with my will, and he brings it into fruition. Okay, that's what a yes means. You prayed something that accorded with God's will. He says yes, he brings it into life. Another way that God can answer your prayer is with the no. Now, sometimes we think he's just not answering the prayer at all. Because we've been waiting so long for him to answer. But maybe he did answer. Maybe the answer is no. This may be sobering for you to, to interact with, and it may be difficult. But you need to interact with sometimes God tells you no. Sometimes we won't know why he says no. But can I tell you something? Oftentimes we can find out his no's. Over time, God will reveal those no's. That's where good mentorship and discipleship will help you out too, to help you have perspective. But we need to remember that we don't serve a puppet God. And we, we serve a God that hands out no's to us. He flat out says no when he wants to. He is the God of the universe. He can tell you no. He can tell me no. And for those of us who have been walking with the Lord for a little longer, and those of us who have had some experiences, aren't you happy that God hasn't answered all your prayers? Some of your silly, foolish prayers? God says no sometimes. Here's the third way God will answer your prayer. He'll answer your prayer with a wait. Sometimes God says yes, but you're not ready, or things aren't ready, or that person's not ready, or the environment's not ready for you. So it's yes, but not yet. Wait. God knows what's best. You tracking with me? He knows what's best. He knows when things are ready. Now, this is not an excuse in the wait posture to not do your part. <laughs> you know, this is not, this is, there's a difference between God truly being the author saying wait and you not doing what God's called you to do because you're being disobedient. Well, I guess God's not giving me an answer because if he really was answering, then I'd be more faithful or I'd be more, no, 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 no. God could be saying, go do something and you could just be disobedient. But oftentimes, I mean, not oftentimes, but there are times when God says, wait. Now, let me share with you some encouraging news when it comes to prayer, when you do it with a genuine and humble heart. Prayer will always change you. Did you know that? Every single time you pray, it will change you. It may not change your circumstances, but it will always change you if you open yourself to God. Keep tracking with me. This is important. But here's the real dilemma. Most of us, when we pray, we don't really want to change. That's not why we're really praying. We're praying to get what we want from God. We're not actually praying because we want to change. There are many times when we're praying for someone that's across the street and we're praying for them. We want them to change, but God's saying, I want your heart to change towards them. So when God calls us to pray for our enemy, he's not asking us to pray for what the enemy needs to have changed. He's asking for your heart to be changed towards your enemy. That's why Jesus walks around the gospel saying, I pray for my enemies to be forgiven, for their hearts to be restored. Let's, let's, let's look at Ephesians 15, uh, 3, verse 15. So, um, verse 14 said, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, verse 15, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. All right, so I want you to see two things here. There's two F words going on. In verse 14, it's Father. In verse 15, it's what? Family. Now, Father and family. I just want to acknowledge that many of us have not had a good experience. A, a, a lot of people, unfortunately, have not had a good experience with fathers and families. Some of us have had difficult fathers, abusive fathers, non-existent fathers, irresponsible fathers. Some of us have not had really good family dynamics. Some of us have some really yucky stuff in our generational backgrounds. 
But if you can just take these ideas of father and family, you can just imagine it in its most pure, beautiful form, then you, you can start to see what God's trying to do here. Family, father. This whole church thing, what Paul is saying is this is not supposed to be a business transaction. This prayer that he's entering into is not a business transaction prayer. It's literally him praying to his father about his family. I'm trying to get into the motivations for your prayer. I don't, I don't know if you're tracking with me. If you approach and you accidentally treat the church like a business model instead of a family, you're not going to pray. Pastor Brandon, you said if I'm not praying, I'm not a prayer person. Something's wrong in my heart. I just, I'm not motivated to pray because you're probably approaching the church like a business and not like a family. You're not going to pray for the people standing next to you if you're thinking it's a business. You're not going to pray for me as your pastor if you're thinking this is just a business. You're not going to pray for God's will to be done here if you're thinking this is a business. Think about it this way. How many of you this week pray for Red Robin? Oh, Lord, I pray that all the food in this building would be so amazingly tasty. I pray that the... Uh-oh, I did. I pray that the fries would be cooked to crisp, that the milkshake would be amazing, that the recording would still take place. <laughs> I'm praying for all these things. Nobody does that, right? Because Red Robin is a business, and at this business, we're coming to consume things. That's what we're here for. That's what I'm there for when I go to Red Robins, right? We're there to literally decide, this is what I like, this is what I don't like. We're there to perfect our preferences, right? So when we approach a business in a restaurant, it's about getting as much as we can by spending the least amount we can, right? I want the meal deal, $4, you get the four things. That's what we're there for. You can't treat the church like that. Brothers, sisters, father, family. This is what Paul's saying. I, for this reason, everything you've given me, I approach and I bow my knees before you, Father. And then he talks about his family. Verse 16. So 15 says, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Verse 16, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his, that's, that's daddy, rich, the riches of his, our dad's glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So here's the big idea. You're dependent. God's independent. God needs nothing. You need everything. The very air that me and you are breathing is given to us by God. If he doesn't give it, we die. God has great wealth to serve us. Paul continues on in verse 16. And he says, we would be strengthened through his spirit in your inner being. You see that? Paul's not just talking about our external circumstances at all. I'm trying to get you to understand about prayer. Do you see any evidence of Paul praying for any of his worldly problems? What are you praying for when you're engaging the Lord in prayer? We're going to have, we're almost there. Stay with me. Yes, our longest service, but it's important. We're talking about prayer. If there was ever a reason to have, to, to lean in, it's on prayer. Paul is focused on the strength of your inner man and your inner woman. Like in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it talks about the outer man dying daily. You know that verse? That the outer man is dying daily, but here's the hope. And the inner man is being renewed day by day for eternity. Folks, the big mystery is this. God's not trying to solve all your earthly problems. He's trying to prepare your inner man and your inner woman for eternity. That's the goal. The goal is to prepare you for forever. Not for your 40 or 50 years here. He's preparing you 
for the forever time. The outer man is going to die no matter what you do. No matter how many nutrition pills you take, no matter if you go to the natural path, no matter if you eat everything organic, no matter if you do everything right for your children, no matter if you do every good deed and you tithe, you're perishing. Your money is going to be gone. Your house will fall and will be dirt. It's just a matter of decades. You, will, you don't own anything. Stop believing in it. The, the whole thing is a lie. You don't own your house. You can't, you don't, can't take it with you. The only thing you own is your soul. And that belongs to God. You, you can't own anything permanently. It's still a big time. It's a long-term lease. That's what your mortgage is. Because when you die, at some point, it is going to not be in your family's will. At some point, it's going to drop off and it's going to be in the dirt. Your outer man and your outer things are dying. But you have the radical opportunity by the blood of Christ to live in the right now, already not yet, time period to say, I'm going to focus on renewing my inner woman and my inner man by the power of the Holy Spirit because that's the only thing that I can take with me. Get your mind off your careers and all these things when they supersede spiritual realities. Let's look at, let's look at Ephesians chapter 17 and 19, verses 17 and 19. So 16 says, through the power, through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, what is the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So Paul's sitting there, literally in light chain house arrest, and he's praying for the church, he's praying for you, he's praying for me, that we'd all be rooted and grounded in love. That's super important. Paul had support. Paul could have created a riot if he wanted to. He had influence. You need to understand this. He could have wrote a variety of things to get himself some traction, some movement going on. But he, he, he prays for the church, for you, for me and his family. And he prays for us to be rooted and grounded in love. Roots are very important, right? They're super important. Without roots, there is no fruit on any tree without healthy roots. But so often we only pray for fruit in our lives. Do you do that? God, could you fix this? Could you fix that? Could you show me fruit? I have a question for you. Do you ever pray for the roots? Or do you only pray for the root of uh, the fruit? Because if we can learn to focus our prayers more on the roots and not the fruit, we're going to have abundant fruit in our lives. Stop focusing and praying for what you want fruit wise and focus on the roots of your relationship with him. <laughs> so if you've ever wondered why the phrase accepting Jesus, like the whole um, kind of, it's a little bit more in the eighties and stuff. Like, have you accepted, Je I, I really don't like it, but have you accepted Jesus into your heart? I call it more making a decision in Christ, but have you accepted? If you ever want to know where that came out of, that whole accept Jesus in your heart, it comes right here out of verse 17, right here. Look, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. That's where it was rooted out of, and then it was butchered and made something wrong. The whole point is this, Christ may dwell in our hearts. The, the, the key word is dwelling, okay? Dwelling. Dwelling is a type of living, okay? It's different than a hotel. When I go to a hotel, I'm visiting. When I go to my home, I'm dwelling there. Dwelling is a type of permanency, it has permanency. So when it says that, I don't want you to miss what it says. So when it says that Christ may dwell in your hearts, here's the good news. It's saying so Christ may have a permanency in your hearts. That means when you are at your worst, he's still there. He's permanent. 
when you're sinning and you're doing the wrong thing, he's permanently going to be there for you. There's super hope there. And because Jesus is living within you in a permanent way, and he's taking residence in your, in your, in your body, in your temple, what does that mean? It means he's working on something. He's fixing the closets and the squeaky doors and the faucets and everything else. He's going to make you a perfected home. He's preparing you for eternity. Let's look at verse 19 again one more time. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all fullness of God. So this week when you pray, don't pray to be a better person. Don't pray for more money. Don't pray for fruit and all your problems to be fixed. Pray for the roots of your faith to increase. Pray for the roots of your spiritual muscles to increase so that whether or not God gives you the answer you prefer, you'll have what you need to not only last, but to thrive. Tracking? Because if you can do that, if you can switch your prayer to roots instead of fruit, you're gonna live your life better. You're gonna have more joy. You'll have a purpose that can't be taken from you. Now let's look at these last two verses. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Wow. Now to him who's able. <laughs> That's powerful. When we look at God, we need to know this, no matter what's going on in our lives, he is able. It is the only, folks, it's the only reason why I'm standing up here this morning because I know that he's able. Hear me out. This whole idea of God getting the glory, man, you want to live that way. It'll set your life up so well. It's about you understanding who's supposed to get the glory in your story. <laughs> Who gets the glory in your story? God does. As long as you keep trying to get the glory for yourself through your own pursuits of your desires and your wants and your central focuses, you're not going to feel near to God. You're going to be disappointed. But when you give God the glory by accepting his story, when you give God the glory by accepting his story, the God story for your life, the one that is his way, his will, according to his purposes, you're going to live well. And it all starts with this humble prayer that Paul demonstrates and how he bowed his knees before God, his father, and he prayed for other people and his family. And he prayed for his heart to be rooted in love for Christ. And then he flexed his muscles and he kept his walk and he marched to death. Here's the thing. And here's where we end with some sober reality. Sometimes when we seek God and sometimes when we're faithful and sometimes when we do it all, it still ends in misery. Someone needs to have that message preached. Sometimes when you do it all right, it still ends in tragedy. It still ends in misery. It still ends with unfortunate circumstances. But here's the thing. God did not promise me or you that he was going to fix your trial. What he promised is his witness. His witness changed to eternal perspectives. So here's my final question today. This one isn't for you to write down. Write it on your heart. Is a true and genuine prayer life the one thing you're lacking? That's what the disciples said, remember? They said, Lord, the one thing we lack is this. Did you know that in the entire Gospels, the disciples never asked for anything except for prayer, how to pray? You will not find any other question. Not, not, no other question of something they asked Jesus for. 
That's the one thing they asked for. Is that the missing piece in your walk with the Lord? Is having no prayer life the thing that's keeping you stuck, stalled, and stagnant with weak, with weak muscles? Let's change that. Let's take a step this week. Let's focus more on our prayer life. Let's humble ourselves. Let's keep looking at these eternal perspectives because God has done the work. Open your heart to God. Open your heart to what he's doing. Trust him. Prepare yourself to hear his yes. Prepare yourself to hear his no. Prepare yourself to hear his wait. But whatever you do, know that he's with you. Know that he is, he is interacting. Know that he is answering. Know that he's present. Know that he loves you. And know that you can do this. Pick up your weights. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for being a good God, Lord. But you do your good work in so many ways. And some of those ways, Lord, that you do your work is by equipping us with the things that we need.